Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Wednesday, June 3rd, 2009, and I think this is episode 200. And 12 of the Survival Podcast, if my memory serves me correct, which I don't really trust anymore with everything that's going on around me and uh, how crunched on time I'm becoming as the show continues to grow and my responsibilities with my uh, main line of work continue to be what they always have and, and increase as well. But uh, we're going to keep rocking on here, and we're going to take a break today from the Q&A shows. And uh, like I said yesterday, I don't want to become dependent on that format. It's very easy to do because you guys rock, and you ask great questions. It gives me a sounding board, and it gives us a good breakup, and it gives us more variety. But if I if I become dependent on that, sooner or later the questions will run out, or we'll start answering the same questions, or God knows what next, and... Uh, we do need to keep the show moving, changing, evolving. So what I want to be clear about is if you've asked a question and you haven't received an answer for it yet, don't think you're not getting an answer just because I'm taking a break. I'll probably do this today, tomorrow, and I'll probably do another Q&A show Friday this week, and I'll do one or two next week. And I've got questions, enough questions to take this thing out for over a month right now if I do one or two a week. Um, and that'll try to be the format I'll go to, and there'll be times when I'm crushed. And somebody on the blog said, I think the host is getting lazy. And I, you know, I said yesterday, I don't want to get lazy. Um, but there are times when I just don't have time to put two hours of research into a show uh, and get it get it all ready to go uh, the night before. So Q&A, hell of a lot easier to do, and I'm researching a very specific answer to a very specific question, so my research is condensed, and uh, I don't know, we'll keep trying to rock on. Before we go on to today's show, though, house cleaning as usual, one, I want to welcome a new advertiser. Uh, we don't have their, uh, their banner redone yet, so their banner's not on the site yet. It may be by the time you listen to this, though, and either way, you can check them out if you want to. The uh, advertiser is called Safe Castle, and uh, they are a great sponsor. They've come on board with a commitment to show, uh, support the show uh, for at least the next six months to test out our advertising and to see uh, what can be done. And they also have a discount buyers club for their store uh, where they sell everything from, like, mountain house products, uh, you know, anything that you would find in, in uh, maybe, let's say, emergency essentials you would, you would find with Safe Castle as well. Uh, they have a discount club. It's $19 to join. And they have, he has generously offered a coupon code that I can give out to people uh, who support the show. So all the members support brigade members who support our show and uh, are part of member support brigade will get a free $19 valued lifetime membership to the discount club at SafeCastle. I'll be adding that to the member support brigade sometime uh, this uh, this week and uh, starting to put some uh, discounts things just for MSB members back there. Additionally, all my moderators are getting uh, free lifetime membership. I think it's about all of you guys are supporting members anyway. Um, but uh, he did throw that out there for the moderators as well. So it's a great new sponsor. Consider him our sponsor 
sponsor of the day. This banner's not up today. Just Google Safe Castle LLC. You'll find uh, you'll find his site and uh, check him out. And you know, drop him an email and thank him for supporting the show. That's a pretty big step to support the show that heavily. Um, next, uh, member support brigade. There's another benefit to it, but uh, the biggest reason we ask you to join member support brigade is you believe in what we're doing here at the show, and uh, you want to support what we're doing here at the show, and you can do that with a contribution that comes out to about 25 cents an episode is uh, what I figured out when I set the pricing, and that's either $5 a month or $50 a year, and if you don't like PayPal, you can pay by cash or check. You can find information in a link in today's show notes and a banner on the website as well that says Member Support Brigade. Uh, that's going to be it for house cleaning today. Let's uh, let's get on with today's show. So what are we going to talk about today since we're not going to do Q&A? There was a show that ran last night. It was called Earth 2100. I got a ton of emails. What do you think of this? A lot of people thought there was a lot of uh, hype in it, a lot of sensationalism, and a lot of propaganda in it. I agree and I disagree. So that's what I'm going to talk about that show today. And uh, I'll give some background and some, you know, I'll try to explain what the show is about for those who maybe didn't get to see it. And I think you'll probably be able to find it online somewhere and watch it online. I'll look today when I get in the office and see if I can find a place where it's visible online. So if you missed it and you didn't DVR it or whatever, uh, you can watch it online. And uh, we'll talk about that. Before we do, I do have some follow-up from yesterday's show. I answered a show yesterday from a person that basically asked, you know, what do you think of people that get upside down in their house and realize that they're never going to be able to get out from under their house, so they just stop paying their mortgage, even though they have money they could be paying their mortgage, they feel it's pointless at this at this point, because they're never going to get out of the house and they don't want to be there anymore. So they live in the house and they pocket all the cash that they would spend on their mortgage up to the point where they're evicted, and then they skip out with the money. And I said, basically, you're being a white-collar criminal and you're breaking your word. Well, this person that asked the question wasn't real happy with my answer, sent me an email and said, you don't get this at all. This is like this is like an employment contract. It's it's not breaking your word. If you if you go to work, right, and you say you're going to work for somebody for fifteen dollars an hour or whatever it is, and you stop showing up, they stop paying you. Same thing with a mortgage. You stop paying for your house, they take the ha- house back, cut and dry. Um, no, no. No, and it sickens me that we're getting to a place in our country where people freaking think that way. I'm sorry if this pisses you off. I really am. If you're one of these people doing this, I'm sorry. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. This is part of what's wrong with our freaking country today. When you sign a mortgage contract, it's not the house solely acting as collateral against the loan. It's you. It's your signature. It's your word. It's your personal guarantee, and it's your commitment to the contract that you will pay on the note. Period. End of story. And that is it. And if you don't believe that, Phone up a lawyer that specializes in contract and real estate law and ask him. He'll explain it to you very clearly. And what I said yesterday is if they can prove intent in that situation, you intended to defraud the grantor of the loan for six, 12 months, whatever. 
whatever the period was. You intended to do it. To start, you didn't. It's not you didn't have money. You had it. And you refused to tender it, and you used it to live in the property beyond the time you stopped paying intentionally, with the intention of ga- intention of gaining. You can be prosecuted in a criminal court, and it has happened, and it should happen. When you make a deal with somebody, you have an obligation as a citizen, and as a man for God's sakes, or a woman for God's sakes, that when you put your name to something, you stand up to it. Now, if you get to a point where you can't pay your bills and you get evicted, I feel really bad for you. And if you did everything you could to try to not lose your house and you couldn't, I feel really bad for you. If you get to a point where you really understand you're going to lose the house eventually, you phone up the lender and tell them, hey, look, I'm out of this. And I'm abandoning the house and I'm walking away from it. I'm not completely okay with that, but I understand it. But if you willingly defraud the person that funded you, so that you can continue to live in the house and take the funds and extract them, you are at best a white-collar criminal. And I'm sorry, that's the way it is. So, I just had to say that, because the email that I got back, comparing it to having a job, pissed me off. And I responded with an email pretty much saying that I never heard back. So, if you never listen to my show again, you know, because you're the guy that sent me that email, tough. All right, let's get on with today's show. Let's talk about this Earth 2100 thing. Okay, so Earth 2100 is this story of a lady named Lucy who was born this year, June 2nd, 2009. That was yesterday, if you're listening to this show, out in the future, right? And uh, it tells her story of growing up, and it really gets cooking around 2015. Now, what the story is, is a disaster scenario that results in almost completely wiping out the planet by 2100. Now, let me say something as a disclaimer right now. I watched it up to about 2084, I think, is where I'm at uh, on the DVR, and I stopped it. I'm going to watch the rest of it tonight. So I haven't seen the end of this thing yet, but I watched, oh, I'd say 70, 75% of it up to this point. And uh, the scenario is... We're trying to change. We're trying to become less dependent. But reality is that too much damage has been done to the planet. Too much population growth has occurred. Too much extraction of resources. And on top of this, things like disease hit us at the same time that natural disasters hit us. And it results in, you know, where I'm at in the situation now, the Earth's population has peaked at like 9 billion. But at 2084, we're down to like 3 billion and dropping. I believe that was the figures. So, what was presented and how plausible, probable, realistic are they? Well, number one, of course, of course the giant danger, the big boogeyman all the way through the whole thing, man-made global warming because of your carbon footprint. And at least they were honest about the fact that going forward that the biggest contributors of evil carbon will be China and India. So I, I can't fault that too much. And in the in the end, the agreement to like reduce greenhouse gases, uh, China and India were the ones that walked away from the simulation. It was actually run like a year ago. Um, but, of course, the United States, we were evil and we wouldn't give them our technology. So they, if, they, if technology was the issue, they wouldn't just rip it off, steal it, and do it anyway like has been done by, you know, the, the Far East with, with American technology forever. So, of course, America has to get the blame in the end. 
and the country begins to start being reshaped. And of course, the, the, the places of enlightenment, the places where they're building sustainable cities, are places like San Diego and San Francisco and New York City. And when we're into like the middle of the century, and half of the country's in total disarray and decay, and there's droughts everywhere and people are dying, the places that are actually stable are New York City and the West Coast. Yeah, I don't think so. I really don't. But I get the point, and we're making a valid point, that cities can be made sustainable if we choose to do it. And there were some things that they were doing in the cities that I think are very realistic going forward into the future, and that we do have the capability to do. The thing is, will mankind do them? Uh, So let's talk about some of the maybe upbeat tone things that were done, and are they probable possible? One was that as we started to have real shortages of water, that we would start desalinating the ocean water, and we'd build these huge plants on the west coast, and we would actually have enough water for people to drink and, and, and you know use and, and do daily things with right there. Um, can we do that? Absolutely. The technology exists right now to do that. If we started building it, we would get better and better and better at it. Will we do it? No. I don't think we will, because the environmentalists will say we're taking water away from the freaking sea lions or some other nonsense like that, and we'll have to get past that as well. The other thing that was going on is we were putting solar panels everywhere in like 2020, 2030 in this scenario, and the deserts were basically full of them. Again, probable, if the freaking environmentalists will get out of the way. Remember, California tried to do this. Governor Strudelnager, right, tried to put... Um, solar panels in the California desert. And it got blocked by Barbara Boxer in our Congress because she said it might interfere with the ecology of the desert. I don't know how, I guess by creating spots of shade in the desert. And Schwarzenegger, to his credit, said if we can't put solar panels in the desert, I don't know where the hell we can put them. So we can't put them in a desert because of environmental whack jobs. They're supposed to be the ones saving the planet by using solar energy. On top of this, I don't know if I said this yesterday, but I did learn this yesterday. Um, Right now, I don't think I did say this on the show yesterday, right now, we're at a point in the United States where we're going to have to get just about all of our major solar panels from China. Why? Why, dear listener, you ask, would we have to get our solar panels from China? Because they're cheap labor and every other reason we import from China? No. Because they peg their currency to the dollar and we have a strong dollar because of that to keep the trade deficit in place? No. We have to buy it from China. Because the EPA's regulations about the manufacture of silicon are so strict and stringent now, the United States companies can't afford to manufacture silicon in the United States, and you kind of need the freaking silicon to build the freaking solar panels. So, I don't know how we're going to build all these massive solar uh, farms in our deserts that was in this scenario until we figure out that maybe we need to lighten up on the regulations on the manufacture of silicon so that we can get the clean, efficient energy. Because we are doing damage to the earth with the drilling and the pumping and the transporting and everything else. I don't think that carbon is so much the problem as the overall waste that is created. 
And the overall draining of resources and the fact that this stuff, sooner or later, the peak oil people are not crazy. It may not be 2020, but sooner or later, capacity and demand will be totally out of whack, and we won't just be able to go pump gas in our cars anymore. So we've got to get this problem solved. So I don't know how realistic it is that even with all the other problems around it, that we'll get even the solution that was presented to the level that it was presented. Another really cool thing that was being done in New York City... Uh, this was way later in the, it was like 2040 when the family moves to New York City. Um, the, the girl's grown up, parents are dead from a, a, a disease outbreak. And uh, in these skyscrapers in New York City, these new skyscrapers, they're growing food in the skyscrapers. And some of the people that live in the skyscrapers are actually taking care of the gardens that are inside the skyscrapers. And the buildings are largely self-sufficient. They have high-efficient wind turbines and solar everywhere on these buildings. And they're generating a lot of their own power and a lot of their own food. And some of the buildings are producing so much food, they actually have a surplus to trade with other buildings that are growing different things or to export into other areas. And they're creating this, this you know, somewhat of a, uh, a permaculture ideal, but they're doing it totally urban and actually inside, protected from the elements, great solar exposure. Um, technology to do that exists today. There's uh, people trying to get funding to build a pilot building in New York City to do just this. This is one of those things, do we have the will to do it, yes or no? And I really, really don't know. The show did not touch enough. When you want to talk talk about free energy, the two sources of free energy that are largely untapped and have huge potential and the technology to harness them, it's actually pretty easy to build if we would just freaking dedicate our resources to doing it. We're geothermal and tidal. They mentioned tidal for just a second, and they talked about Scotland uh, uh, using tidal energy, and that was it. It was a little blip on the radar. I think that those two energy resources, completely renewable, completely clean. And if you think about it, we have these tides out in our ocean. They go one way for a while, they go another way for a while. All you need is a turbine underwater with a a cable coming out of it that's designed to run underwater. We can build those and a clutch mechanism with a timer that changes the direction of of, of the generation of the turbine based on which direction the water happens to be flowing. And we don't have to do anything except build them, put them out there, and start generating power. So that's available. You drill a hole deep enough in the earth, it's really freaking hot down there. You pump water down there, it turns into steam. Steam comes back up, you use the steam to generate electricity, which is basically the way most of our electrical power plants, even nuclear, work today. In a nuclear power plant, the uranium doesn't directly, or the plutonium doesn't directly create electricity. It generates heat. The heat generates steam. The steam turns turbines. Turbines create electricity. So all of the electricity that we're creating, I won't say all, but a massive amount of the electricity that we create right now, it's all about spinning a turbine. So whether we use steam from the earth, tidal forces, or you know, wind to turn that turbine, the result is the same, generate electricity. So all of the things in this show about modern evolution of our energy are possible. The question is, will we do it? Will we have the will? And I have my doubts. That's why I'm encouraged when I see individuals doing it. And the way that I think this will happen, if it does, is some cities, towns, and maybe even some states will say, you know what, had enough. EPA, 
suck wind. We're building freaking silicon, and we're laying the law down. We're going under the Tenth Amendment. We have a right to do this, and you're not going to stop us and shove it up your ass if you don't like it. And they'll start just building, and they'll start doing it. If enough people do it, then the people that view it will demand it. Now let's talk about some of the really negative stuff that was in here and how probable it was. One thing that happened, of course, the big boogeyman of global warming came out and seas rose. And it started to cause flooding and weather events and everything else like that. How likely is that? Now, we all know, if we listen to this show often, that Jack thinks that man-made global warming is a big pile of bullshit designed to create a global taxation system where they will make us pay more for our energy, take the tax dollars and steal them, but not actually fix the problem by doing all these great things that I just talked about. So you might think, well, I would just say, well, that's not going to happen. No. No, I'm not going to say that that's not going to happen. We have had warming for a long time now. And we're actually had cooling recently, but the overall trend is still a warming trend. It doesn't have to be man-made for it to be a problem. The Earth at one time was much warmer. All this, well, the Greenland ice sheets are going to melt. Greenland ice sheets were melted not that long ago, about 700 years ago, during the medieval warming, the, 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 the medieval optimum. Right before the little ice age. That's when they froze back over. Okay? The, the Norwegians had people in Greenland with, with sheep up in the mountains of Greenland. Less than, less than a thousand years ago. And New York City wasn't a city. It was a swamp. And it was underwater. And the water rolled way up over it all the time. In fact, when we first took over New York City by cheating the Indians out of it, okay, let's not forget we did that, and started to build it, much of it was a swamp and underwater then, even though it was colder and sea levels were lower by a little tiny bit. It exists because we pumped the water out and we created it in a man-made false ecosystem. New York City is really naturally a wetland. And it's only our technology that holds that at bay for now. So this eventual thing that had happened in New York City was a massive flood. And New York City ended up underwater. And it looked a lot like in the story, of course, New Orleans. I'm sure there was some footage of New Orleans actually used uh, for this, as well as maybe some footage of uh, the tsunami as well. I seem to uh, see that kind of blended in there. Let me say, I don't think it was propaganda, though. Because what happened in this story, with this, this fake scenario, wasn't that, oh, the oceans rose and New York City just, you know, blah, 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 blah. Giant storm came in and created a storm surge at high tide. And the combined effect of the risen sea levels, the failure of barrier walls that they were building, which is technology can fail, and the storm itself and the time that it hit created the flood. It was like a perfect storm. Submerges New York City, trashes the place, really makes it a terrible place to live, and divides the classes even more where the wealthiest people that still want to live in New York City uh, move further north on the uh, drier part of the island, and uh, the uh, you know basically the, uh, the lower part of the island, the place where Wall Street now is, becomes slums. And uh, is that possible? Yeah. I think it's a little overly optimistic. 
How the hell is that overly optimistic? The, the suffering that people were under in this scenario was such that, you know those guys in the big townhouses up on the north side of the island? It's only an eight-mile-long island. I don't think they would have been able to continue to live in their posh penthouses. They had a lot of Arabic look to the new architecture, by the way, if you watched it. I don't think that's inaccurate either, by the way. And I'm not talking about terrorism. I'm talking about Middle Eastern money coming into the United States using the weak dollar against us. So that part's realistic, but the people allowing it, not rioting, not going up there and ripping those guys out of their, their penthouses, I think they were a little... Uh, a little optimistic about being able to keep New York City afloat as long as they have it. And this, of course, it's gone by 2100. I just haven't got there any yet. Uh, there's another scenario that I find uh, interesting. And I uh, can't believe they didn't bash guns in this thing. But they actually made a good case for guns. I don't know. Maybe they did it by accident. Uh, the family moves to New York City from San Diego. And um, when they do that, the middle of the country is just damaged beyond... You know, recognition, basically. Lake Mead is dry. I don't mean low. I mean, in this scenario, Lake Mead, there is no more water. I don't think that's very realistic either. As soon as everybody leaves Las Vegas and stops pulling the water out, it would start to fill back up. That's what Lake Mead does. It holds the water back. Even with a little bit of rain, it's a massive amount that would come down into there. But... Okay, Lake Mead was dry, and these people are driving across the, the country. And at some point, they kind of hook up with a convoy. And then at one point, when they're kind of making their way through some crowds in Texas near the border, which I think is also very probable and very accurate to what would go on here, um, the little girl, the, the, the little girl of the main characters, her daughter, is threatened by somebody with a gun, and somebody in the convoy comes to her rescue also with a gun. I think they made a very good case for arming yourself and being able to defend yourself. Because if the nefarious character has a gun and you don't, you are at a decided disadvantage. The gun is an immediate equalizer in that situation. So they actually had a very positive view. I don't think it was intentional. Somebody will probably get fired over it, especially if somebody at the network hears my my view of that going out there. Um, but that's what ended up coming out of it. They'll probably edit it if they figure out what they've done there, because uh, I don't think it was meant to be gun-friendly. Of course, the family never armed themselves. Um, so that, I thought, was realistic. Las Vegas became a ghost town, and much of the United States looked like it did during the Dust Bowl. Yeah. I think that's possible. But again, they were blaming global warming and climate change, and they're not understanding the real threat. It's the depletion of the Ogala Aquifer, the fossil aquifer that's providing massive amounts of irrigation to our croplands right now because there are so many people that our production capacity has been pushed to the absolute limit of what we can produce with, with modern agriculture. And we don't have enough rainfall to maintain that, so we got to get the water from somewhere. So we pump it from the shallow aquifers, and when that runs dry, we go to the fossil aquifers. The shallow ones refill when it rains. The fossil ones do not. They didn't point that out. Because they want to make global warming the boogeyman, because there's a huge... That is the propaganda in this piece. But the result is the same. The result is massive food shortages. And when the massive food shortages in this, they started to have major refugee problems with the border. People trying to get into the United States from Mexico, the Caribbean, and other places. Plane, train, automobile, and foot. Border conflicts. Firing on innocent people at the border as human waves try to come across the border. 
absolutely possible. Illness. There were three mentions of uh, illness so far. The first one was just a nasty flu. Killed a bunch of people like it's happened in the past. Didn't totally wipe out the world, but this girl's parents actually died of it. They were very elderly when it hit. Next is somewhere about 20 years before the point that I got up to. Uh, all these immigrants coming to New York City to work on this giant sea barrier and all the other great you know, utopian projects that New York City is wise enough to do and the rest of the world isn't, Jesus, um, are coming into New York City and they're living in these little immigrant slums, you know. And this, this new virus pops up that has blisters on people. kind of look like smallpox, the emulation they created. But I can't remember what they call it. Something fever, something they just made up. Uh, it's, I didn't think it was. I don't think it was a real disease. I think it was a hypothetical new virus that would rise. Well, it comes in. You know, about a hundred people get it. They save everybody. Uh, nobody dies. And it goes away. Well, like twenty years later, some mutant form of it comes back, and it starts wiping out the global population. And it's where you start seeing the global population going from like nine billion, eight billion, seven billion, six billion, five billion, four billion. Three, but people are dying everywhere. Is that a very probable? Is it very likely to occur? Um, probably not at that kind of scale. But of course, they wanted to create this worst case possible scenario. So, is it possible that a disease could hit humanity that is so devastating that it wipes out billions? Of course, it is. Because we're humans, and there are certain diseases that when they infect us, they kill us. And those diseases can travel from human to human. And it's only a matter of time before something mutates and does a serious, serious harm. And in the worst case scenario, it could be that bad. It's not what I would sit around worrying about, but it is something that's possible. Quite a few people said it looked like a uh, campaign uh, piece for Barack Obama to get help him get his, uh, his you know, uh, Kyoto agenda and things like that accomplished, uh, get him reelected, keep him around the 2015 where this critical point would be. Can't say that it wasn't subtly, overtly. I think Obama was in it twice. He is the current president of the United States. I, I don't know that you can fault that. They had him when these people in like 2040 were coming into Greens, uh, Greensburg, Kansas, uh, which if you don't know is a town that was totally wiped out by tornadoes, and they've completely rebuilt the town from the ground up, completely green and self-sufficient. And it was this beacon in the middle of the country. It was getting to where the country wasn't so bad, because at least they're out of the desert southwest where the drought was the worst. But a lot of things around Kansas, were still pretty bad. And then Greensburg was this wonderful little oasis in the middle of it. Um, that was another problem I had with it. If you have people suffering in these type of, you know, shit, these are shit hit the fan scenarios going on. Little microcosms of, you know, the whole shit hasn't hit the fan yet. There's still isolated places that are in pretty good shape. But if you have something like a Greensburg, Kansas, with all kinds of resources and energy and food and water, surrounded by people that have nothing, you know, it's not going to be a utopia. Because the people that don't have will come and loot and raid. So apparently all the looters and raiders couldn't go past the Oklahoma border in this scenario. And uh, I didn't find that very realistic either. The other thing that was totally ignored. And if you want to talk about crisis as we, we got into the meat of this story around 2015. It's almost criminal 
to ignore the potential for that time frame or right before that time frame to be right about the point that we come off of this next inflationary bubble and what it could do to the economy and the American dollar and the American way of life just economically. People are asking me right now, Jack, do you think that this recovery in the stock market is a dead cat bounce? Dead cat bounce is the market looks like it bottoms out. It looks like all of a sudden it's going into recovery. Boy, buy in, buy in, buy in, buy in. And it's doing really great. It's doing really great. It gets back to half maybe of what it's lost, which for us would be about 11, 12,000, right? Because it was at over 14. It was down to 7, so about 10,000, 11,000. And then it falls off the edge and it goes lower than ever before. And it's like a sucker's rally. And people, I do think it's a sucker's rally, but I don't know how long the sucker's rally is going to last. And there'll be little ups and dips and downs in it, but where's the precipice? that we come over the edge. I don't think it's 2010. I think 2010 is going to look great. I think all the people that have been saying, we worship at the feet of the great Barack, will be saying, look! Look at the economy rebounding! Look at the green shoots! Are turning it... There's somebody going to say this. Mark my words. The green shoots are turning into stems. Or the green shoots are turning into branches. Or, here's a great one, the green shoots of the economy are now beginning to bear fruit. And any asswad that wants to write that is now going to be plagiarizing me. I've ruined all three of those lines. That's awesome. But, my point is, that, that, that all this money... This 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 uh, this economic theory that if the government spends enough money, it creates recovery, is not completely wrong. When you pump money into something, it's like giving everybody a credit card. Life looks great, but the bank account's declining on the other side. And this time, this time, we're going to go higher than we ever went before, is my prediction. It may not be higher in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It may be if we keep solving the problem by taking bad companies out of it. You know, the the Dow's looking great. Well, why? We pulled GM out of it. Ah, That'll help. It's like taking the lowest two test scores out of a class and saying, see, they're doing better. Um, But it may not be that the Dow ever sees 14,000 again. It may see 20. I don't know. But the economy itself... Consumer confidence, consumer spending, uh, property, everything will just look like it's amazing. And then right in the point where it's looking good, all of a sudden you'll get this hockey stick up. Where it looks like it's just blowing and going beyond words. That won't be real though. That will be inflation raising prices. And when everybody's spending and buying and prices go up, at the same time, everybody's bottom line starts to run away looking great. But eventually, inflation catches up with everything. It slows the economy down because people can't afford it anymore, which is a big part of what happened with gas prices last year. But imagine it with every major commodity. And poof! The other side comes and all the people that made all the money all the way up start taking their profits and pulling their money out because they're smarter than the average dodo. And then the crash on the other side is directly in correlation with the rise that preceded it. So the higher you go, the harder you fall. 
Very, very simple. There was no addressing of that problem in this show. And that more than the global warming thing to me made this thing a propaganda piece. Because what we were led to believe by this is if we had just all come to the table and agreed in 2015, this could have been averted. And even though we tried everything, and we tried to get it right later on, that was the precipice beyond which there was no return. Well, if you want to make a case for that with global warming, you can put pseudoscience and you can do all kinds of things to try to do it, and you can make a relatively compelling case. If I wanted to, I could make a a relatively compelling case with enough emotion in it, which is what this was. But, if I want to make a completely mathematical, logical case for this nightmare scenario with our economy, it's very, very easy to do. Anybody that can use a calculator that has enough room for enough zeros on it can see this. It has to happen unless we fix it by putting an actual value behind our currency again, and I don't see that happening. And the only way to keep it from completely blowing up, and I know a lot of people don't like the Fed, I don't like the Fed either, but in this case, since the Fed puts so much money into the economy, once the economy begins to rebound, they have to take it back out of the game. And if they don't take enough money out at the exact right time, we're going to get this nightmare economy scenario. Now, unlike a lot of people that try to prove how smart they are, I can't tell you if that's 2011 or 2015 or 2012 or 2017. What I will tell you is that everybody will think the problem's solved and Murphy's Law will kick in and some aggravating circumstances that aren't directly related will get applied and eventually, here's the big one, the rest of the world will say checkmate. Because right now, China is still playing along with us. India is still playing along with us. The Mideast is still playing along with us. They're buying our treasury bills. And that means they're loaning us money. And they have to, because they're so deep in the game right now, they can't pull out. But when we have this next recovery, and the Fed starts to take that money out of the economy, the way that it's going to get taken out of the economy is that the people that are holding the T-bills are going to cash them in and convert the currency to a national or a foreign currency or to a commodity. They're going to dump their dollars, and the Fed are going to pull those dollars out. They were never really there. They were already being held. So the inflation doesn't go away, and all the propping up and support of the rest of the world does. We have economic catastrophe. Now, we can solve that problem. We can solve that problem by individually building up our supplies and our resources and our production capability. The solution to this problem doesn't lie in windmills and solar panels. Those are part of the solution. The bigger solution, and why I talk about it so much, and I've even gotten some criticism for it. One guy asked me, what are you going to tell people, bake a pie next? Maybe. Maybe I'll be eating cherry pie while you're starving and living on your last ration bar. Maybe. Because the solution is in a garden and in a forest, a food forest. Jeff Lawton, founder of the Permaculture Institute, or one of the founders of the Permaculture Institute of Australia, greened the desert, the salt desert in northern Israel, 
next to the Dead Sea. Ten acres turned into a green oasis. Mostly harvesting natural rainwater in a place where they get less than ten inches a year. If that can be done there, what can be done here with all these resources that we have? Again, I ask you, I ask you the simple question. You drive to work, you drive to school, you go wherever you go every day. Look around you, look at all the trees that you see, all the ornamental trees. If we took one in ten and made them a pecan, a walnut, a peach, an apple, a pear. One in ten. Throughout urban, suburban, and rural America. And I'm not talking about the natural forest trees. I'm talking about the ones that we take care of, the ones that we're proud of. That crappy Bradford pear in your front yard that doesn't produce pears. So it doesn't make lawn litter. If we did that, how much food is out there? Look at all the lots in suburban America. If one in ten was producing food. How much food could we be producing? If people started to harvest rainwater and use it to produce for themselves, if we started building our local economies up, if we didn't see the salvation, and that was the other part of this thing, the salvation, the failed salvation, I guess that is poetic justice. But it's only because we waited too long, only because we were too greedy. If we would have just acted faster than industry and government working together and glorious fascism would have saved us. Government is not the solution, dear Democrat. Private industry, the way that you mean it when you say it, is not the solution, dear Republican. Because the two of them are absolutely in bed together in a fascist economic system. And if you don't believe that, go to Wikipedia and look up fascist economics. I'm ready to close the show down. I don't have time to explain fascist economics today. That is the economy of the United States and most industrialized nations of the world today. It is a fascist economic system. It's nothing to do with genocide. That was one aspect of one fascist that's allowed all the other fascists to not look like fascists. I'll leave it at that. But the solution is you. The solution is you living a better life if these times get tough or if they don't. The solution is you deciding that you will be self-sufficient. Whether you live in a city, a town, or on a remote piece of mountain land, doesn't matter. To create that self-sufficiency, to share and spread that self-sufficiency, and to spread the message that we as individuals are smarter than these collective trolls, which is what these people are. They subsist on humanity by creating wage slaves which is what most workers actually are, slaves to a paycheck. If they stop working, they lose everything tomorrow. That's why I say to eliminate debt. That's why I say to store food. That's why I say, by God, produce and grow your own food. And it may be the most important step you can take. Because if you have no debt, if you pay for your property, if you're smart about how you do it, and if we eventually revolt against the taxes they charge us for owning something, And we can get that sorted out. If on top of that you can feed yourself, what else do you need? Not what else do you want. I'm not against what you want. I don't want everybody to live poor like a serf. I'm saying if you can create a system in your life that provides all the things that you need, and then you can focus your efforts on what you want versus doing what most people would just focusing their efforts on what they need. If you can make that transition... 
and you can be an example to the people around you. That's how we avert this scenario. Because the scenario of the water rising in New York, people just move out of New York. Simple. We don't build a giant seawall. We say, you know what, that land is going back to what it was. We can't stop nature. Let's harness nature. Let's use this new wetland wisely. Let's take these buildings and the people that want to stay, let's build the buildings so that we can utilize the land the way that it is and let's make the the population sustainable. Let's let individuals figure out for themselves how to support themselves, but let's get out of their way and let's stop taxing them to a point where they have nothing left to get it done with. Let's stop seeing Feed the Children in Africa as our charity of choice and start looking at supporting people that actually make a sustainable difference. You give Feed the Children money, they take it and put it in a bag of rice and they give it to some kid that eats for a week or a month or even a year. That's wonderful. It's noble. But it's limited. You take and you give your efforts and your contributions to people like the Permaculture Institute. I'm talking about the Australians in particular and what they're doing, and they take that, and they go into these third world nations, and they take a person that has a piece of land, or they buy a piece of land, and they teach people to run it and use it, within three years they walk away. And that land is now a food producer, a profit center that supports the people that work there, and a school to teach other people to do the same thing, and it replicates itself, and it's completely, totally self-sufficient. We pull our heads out of our ass and we realize that that's the type of solution that we need to be leaving, living, and supporting. And we do it for ourselves at the same time. And the disasters will still come, but we'll be better prepared to deal with them. Not ready, prepared. That's what I got out of this show. But that's because I think about these things on a daily basis. The show wasn't for me. It wasn't for you. It was to harness and channel the fear of the sheep of the general population. But my feeling, my optimism, is that the sheep are beginning to awaken. The sheep are like, you know what? This stuff's not starting to make sense anymore. That's why communities like ours are growing. That's why we're starting to get somewhere. And that's why we're starting to see this green revolution everywhere. The green revolution that's going on right now isn't about giant windmills in the desert. And I'm not against that. I want them there. I wish the hell they'd shut up. Quit talking about them, telling us we're evil for driving cars, and shut up and go build some freaking windmills. I don't care who builds them. Go build them. But until they do, you have to act. And if you're a thinking person... And you don't worry about the propaganda and you watch shows like this. That's what you'll extract from them. That's my challenge from you is you start seeing the propaganda around you that's designed to turn people like Al Gore into a billionaire. Harness it. Find the truth within it. Extract the truth and be the example of the solution rather than someone that's bitching about the problem. And if you do that long enough, you'll make your life better and you'll be an example to those around you. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. And you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.